It's not the blues tonight. It is the, uh, it is the greens. Yeah, thanks to Christian for sharing last week on, on anger. And I hope you don't get the, get the feeling over the next few weeks that it's just a, a therapy session for leaders, um, just to just out some of our internal uh, feelings that's going on. But the truth is, if we're going to speak from here, then it's got to touch here first. And uh, like many things, God is working on us, and it, it's a journey, it's a process. And if any of you think it's going to happen tomorrow like that, you're mistaken, because it doesn't. And it just, sometimes it can take years. Sometimes it can take a, a lot shorter than that. But some, some things, because of who we are and our sinful nature, things just take a while to work through sometimes. But God doesn't give up. The, God is always on the case with us. Uh, and I'm so glad, I'm so, I'm so thankful that God hasn't given up on me. Tonight I've got the, uh, the subject of defeating the Greens. And uh, Green, of course, we, we associate with, with envy. Now just for a start, I just thought I'd just bring a, a verse in. I, I was, as I was work, working through this subject matter and just studying, um, there, there were quite a few in the Bible actually, the envy and jealousy is just so well signposted all the way through. I could have picked any of a thousand stories out of the Bible to illustrate the point. But as I was studying, um, the, the first real instance of jealousy comes in Genesis and, and Cain and Abel. You know the story that Abel's offering was, was seen by God as more acceptable. But then God speaks to Cain. And I just want to start with this and then just park it. Because just, I just felt a check in my spirit just to just share this with you right now. God says to Cain in Genesis 4, verse 6, it says, Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. I mean, Josh said this morning, we don't need to be afraid of sin. Jesus, we're not afraid of sin. He was always where sinners were. I just feel a check in my spirit. Maybe tonight, you've got a thought process going on, and you know what the pathways are. One pathway is not a good one. And God says to you tonight, sin is crouching at the door eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Defeating the Greens. Does anybody know, just, uh, just throw it out there, where the, where the phrase green-eyed monster was, first appeared? Anybody got any idea? Got any uh, teachers of English in here or any literary students in here? Shakespeare. Shakespeare mentioned it in uh, Othello, and it said the green-eyed monster... Beware, it says, beware, O Lord, the green-eyed monster. It doth mock the meat it feeds on. Question tonight, what does jealousy feed on? If you're a jealous person tonight, jealousy feeds on you. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is the NLT version, he said, I had to talk as though you belong to this world or as though... You were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you're still controlled by our sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you were controlled by our sinful nature? I'm sure many of you can think of a, a film or a, a time in history where you've heard some fiery preacher preach on jealousy on the Ten Commandments, and when he gets to thou shalt not covet, he really goes to town on you, and you walk away thinking, I could never survive this Christian life. It's so heavy on me. Tonight, I don't want to do that. I just want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I've got some notes. I've got stuff that I've just formed, a, uh, just a, a message around, and I've got a pathway I'm going to go through. 
But I just want to be so sensitive to Holy Spirit and so sensitive that around the room there were just hearts sat in front of me, and mine included, where some of these things we really need to work through. Because Paul was mentioning the maturity of those Christians. I've got no intention of hammering anybody tonight. I've got no intention of grinding anybody into the dirt, into the dirt over this subject of jealousy. I don't want anybody walking out the door tonight guilt-laden that they've somehow got to just sort this out tomorrow and just get it, get it. But let's all be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to each one, each and every one of us tonight. Because Paul had said in the previous chapter, he said, I often speak with bigger words. I often use more wisdom. I often use greater themes. And in chapter 3, but you're not ready. I sometimes wonder how we expect to grow as a church if we stay on the milk and don't take the solid food. But in this church's case, in the Corinthians, such a well-known flagship church of the New Testament, yet Paul was chiding them. He says, you're not ready for the meat because you're still full of jealousy. If we're going to grow as a church, we need to be practitioners and not theorists. The theory is great. The Bible is full of good stuff. But God wants us to be the practitioners of what we say, of what we proclaim. We've also got to walk the talk. The green-eyed monster. You know, as you look at jealousy, I'm sure you can think of any major event in history, particularly with wars and everything else. I've come to the conclusion that jealousy could well be the most destructive power in the universe. Where does jealousy start? Where does it have its origins? If you read Isaiah 14, you, you read the story of how Lucifer, the great angel, fell, and it was based on jealousy. Because he was jealous of the position of God and he decided to rise up against it and that's where jealousy springs from. Even the very first few chapters of Genesis, we see Satan himself offering jealousy on a plate to Eve. Jealousy is so destructive. Jealousy is completely self-centered. Jealousy will always put itself first. Jealousy is always self-indulgent. It's self-seeking. Envy is selfish. Envy will pull down. It never builds up. Jealousy will isolate. Envy will separate. Jealousy is happy to snare others in its own web. And now jealousy that's not dealt with can bring division, can bring contention, it brings arguments. And we know from a, on a greater scale, jealousy brings battles. Jealousy brings wars. Jealousy brings murder, even as we found out with Cain and Abel. The jealousy in that situation. I just want to give you three types of jealousy that I've, I've spotted in the Bible. And then put that to bed and just give us three methods in which we can just listen to God and move on forward in dealing with the greens. The first type of jealousy I've come across is corrosive, a jealousy that eats away. You might have seen in older versions called coveting. See, David coveted Bathsheba. And if you read the story, I'm pretty certain Bathsheba coveted David too. Lot's wife. She was coveting the way of the old life and she was told to run away from Sodom and Gomorrah and not look back. She really wanted to go back to, to, to Sodom. See, covetousness or corrosive jealousy is an insatiable desire of something that somebody else has. It's I, I must have, I must get. Corrosive envy always manifests itself in power, possession, and position. 
See, Satan's very first conversation with, with humanity was about, well, God said you can't eat that fruit because he knows you're going to be like him. Straight away, in with the jealousy, you could be better than God. You can be higher than God. Hey, Eve, hey, Adam, what do you think about that proposal? You can have all of the power. It comes in possession. I was just sat the past few weeks in a, in a hospital in East Grinstead. Those of you who don't know where East Grinstead is, it's, it's south of London. Okay? It's in the God of England, Kent and Sussex down there. And I've been sat in the coffee room. All I've heard these surgeons and these doctors talk about the past few weeks is the last skiing holiday, their next skiing holiday, their kids in private school, how they're disgusted that big criminals have their kids in the same school because they're rich now. But it's all about stuff. I go into a theatre and they've all got these MP3 players for their iPods. And of course, they're Bose. You know, they're not cheap Tesco Technica ones that I might afford. You know, it's all the best stuff. It's all about stuff. Of course, the ideal cure for gathering stuff is to go and spend two weeks in Uganda or Kenya. Believe me, you'll come back and you realise how unimportant stuff really is. And it's affected my life permanently. I've had three trips to Kenya. I've been to Romania but poverty is just so in your face. And I'll tell you what, these things don't really matter. They don't. Opposition. Jostling for a seat at the top table. Jesus had a lot to say about that. I mean, you see it every day in politics. You see it in elections. Is, is an election about serving the people? Or is an election how you can get to that position where you can tell everybody else what to do? I just, I really can't watch The Apprentice. Okay? I know some guys around here might love The Apprentice. I, I can't stand it. And I'll tell you why. I'm not a big fan of sugar, Lord Sugar anyway. But what I can't watch, and it really does offend me, is the way they're so willing to stab each other in the back, to trample over each other, do whatever they can to get that position with Lord Sugar. Some of you might love the program. I just can't watch it. Um, I've seen a few moments of it on every series, and I just like, just get away from me. I just really can't get into it. So that's corrosive envy. It would just eat away at you. I've got to get this. I've got to get that. And it would manifest itself. I know plenty of people who are just spent up to the hilt. They're in so much debt because they're just consumed with corrosive energy. Then we've got competitive energy, envy. Then we've got competitive envy. Keeping up with the Joneses. There's a billion dollar industry that's designed to keep us jealous. Do you know what it is? It's called advertising. If you watch any advert on TV, it is designed to keep you in jealousy. Because if you're not drinking that can of Coke or Pepsi or whatever it is, you're not that cool. And if, if you want a complete life and a complete family, you need to buy yourself that Range Rover. Because only that Range Rover is going to do it for you and your family. If you want to look your best, you've got to use L'Oreal because you're worth it. But it's an industry that will keep you in jealousy because that's all they want. If they put out a better life, if you use their product, then you can put your hand in your pocket and you're going to pass your hard-earned cash to them. Do they care if you really look good? Do they really care if you, your, your life is complete in that Range Rover? Of course they don't. It's designed to keep you in jealousy. And that's competitive jealousy. As we look through the Bible, we see Cain. We've already mentioned that. We see Daniel's enemies. Daniel was in favor with the king. So much so that his enemies plotted to get him thrown into the lion's den and made the king pass a ridiculous decree about praying only to him. 
That was competitive jealousy. Because they could see that Daniel was on the way up. He was being elevated. Not because Daniel was jealous, but because Daniel was full of integrity. Daniel was full of good works. Daniel was always on the button, even with the king. They were diametrically opposed in their belief. Yet his enemies were competitive and just want to bring him down. James and John, gosh, now isn't that competitive jealousy? Lord, when we come to your kingdom, do you mind if we sit on your right and the left? What was the reaction in that story? What did the other disciples do immediately? There was bitterness. There was division straight away because it was competitive jealousy. So you can see where I'm going. Jealousy is not a good thing. Jealousy eats, eats us up. And in Corinthians, Paul said, you're not ready for the meat of the word because you're just jealous. Is it Apollos? Is it Paul? Paul says, who cares? You're saved. Get on with it. And that's, that's a paraphrase, by the way. But it's pretty much what Paul was saying in, the, in that letter of Corinthians. And it goes on all the way through the book. You can refer the rest of the Corinthians to those first three chapters. But Paul's saying, come on, get real, guys. You've got to start eating something that's good for you. Get out of that zone and start eating something that's good. You know, competitive jealousy is all about number one. It's only ever going to be about you. You might be in a room that's full of jealous people, but if you're jealous, you're still alone because jealousy is always about what can I do for me. Even if you're trying to elevate somebody else, and we see it all the time, particularly in these green steps, when uh, just money is everything. And if you put enough money in, then your, your children will go further up the ladder. If you push them harder, they're going to go further. It's not about the kids. It's about how good you look. See, competitive jealousy will just keep you locked in. It's always number one. Competitive jealousy will also stifle esteem. It will stifle honor. The Bible says how good it is when brothers dwell together in unity, jealousy will destroy unity in an instant. Because it's not, it's not in unity. You're isolated in jealousy. It will stifle growth. It will stifle harmony. Look at Jacob and Esau. Jacob, completely jealous of Esau's birthright. And what lengths did he go to get that off him? Did they grow as a family? No. They were split apart within moments of that happening. You know, jealousy will just foster indifference to someone else's troubles. Because all you care about is you. Somebody else's troubles don't mean a thing. It reduces empathy. It encourages a mean spirit. And church at Arena, we've been talking the past few weeks about our culture. We want to be generous people. But we can't be generous whilst we're jealous. Whilst we're envious of others. Even of other churches. That's not right. Josh made a great statement this morning. He said he went to Hillsong last week, but he wasn't at home. Because this is his home. What a fantastic statement to make. That even though this church has endless riches and all the talent they've got and the crowds they draw every week, but yet it's not Josh's home. This is Josh's home. See, that's not an envious spirit. That's not jealousy. That's understanding who God wants you to be. Then we've got comparative jealousy. Comparative jealousy, I thought I'd bring this one up because it's something that maybe I'm on, well, not maybe, I know I am. I'm on a journey. Comparative jealousy is where you compare yourself to others, either positively or negatively. 
So you might say to somebody else, I'm better, or you might think to yourself, I'm better than them. You might be thinking right now, I could preach this subject much better than Andy. <laughs> you might be thinking to yourself, I could never preach that subject as good as Andy. That's comparative jealousy. Because you're pitching yourself against somebody else. And here's the good news. God has not called you to speak like me. God has not called you to walk the path that I have walked. God has called you to walk your own path. God has given you, he's just bestowed upon you countless gifts and talents that I don't have. I've got some guys sat around the room here. It's Pete. Pete writes some awesome songs. Now, I've known to dabble in songwriting in the past, okay? I've got a few songs in my locker that occasionally I, I play to myself. But Pete's songwriting is awesome. It really is, Pete. It's top draw. In fact, here's a confession. On a few, when I first joined Arena Church, I heard some new songs. I went on the Hillsong website to try and find them. That's how good his songs are. But hey, Pete, I am not threatened by that at all. I'm really happy that Pete can write some good songs and bring him to Arena Church. I'm not comparing myself to Pete. I've got Kev, who's just, what is Kev like on that guitar? What is he like? He could make me depressed. You know, those are the days when you think my guitar would be better as firewood when I hear Kev play. But I ain't going to compare myself to him because God's given me a different path to walk than that. You know what? As days go by, I get more and more com- comfortable in walking the path that God has laid for me. That doesn't mean comfort as in lazy and, and, and just, it's just like, God, this is the way you want me to walk and this is what I'm coming to in a second. Comparative. See, comparative je- jealousy it will rob you of your destiny, I promise you. If you keep measuring yourself against somebody else, either from down looking up, or if you look down on somebody, it will rob you of your destiny. And guess what? They might be oblivious to what you think. They might be oblivious to what you believe. And they'll be walking in their own destiny, but if you're jealous of them, you're going to miss your own destiny. It'll be so easy for every single one of us this, this, this evening to look at Ephesians 4.11 and say, oh, that's never for me. Pastor, the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, that's the evangelists, oh, that's not for me. That's, that's for the ministry team. That's for the leadership team. I, I'm not there. I, I could never do that. I'm going to come back to that later because you could be robbing yourself of the destiny God has got lined up for you. You could say, well, Billy Graham, what a fantastic preacher. I'll, I'll never get the chance that Billy Graham did. Well, who says? Billy Graham was just a young guy when he first started, when the Holy Spirit got hold of him and said, right, this is what I want you to do. But let me tell you what, that was Billy Graham's path. It might not be your path. So why seek Billy Graham's path when Chris Mang has got a path, when Paul Stokes has got a path, when Steve's got a path? It's not Billy's path. Then my path isn't Billy Graham's path either. I'm just going to read a verse to you, but I'm going to, I'm going to reverse it just for emphasis. I'm going to change the meaning completely around. So before you get the stake and the matches to burn me, burn me as a heretic outside, see if you can guess which verse this is, but I'm going to do it in reverse, okay? Ready for this? Jealousy is impatient. Jealousy is mean. Jealousy always measures. It's boastful. It is proud. It always dishonors others. It is self-seeking and rushes into anger, keeping a long list of complaints. It delights in evil and the downfall of others. It loves lies. It exposes the vulnerable, never trusts, never hopes, never sticks to the task. Anybody guess what verse? I've just reversed there. Corinthians 13. 
See, the opposite of jealousy is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I've got three things I just want to bring in tonight to maybe we can all learn. I've learned just by studying through these and just trying to get a wider aspect on, on jealousy and envy and how to deal with it. And I've asked uh, Jordan just to put up a picture for me. And if you could tell me what this is. Okay, anybody know what that is? It's an arga. Okay, now this is just a visual in your mind. So when you say, what was Andy speaking about? An arga. Now, what does arga stand for? My next three points start with A, G, and A. Okay? So when you think about, what did Andy speak on? Arga. The first thing that is going to help us deal with jealousy is the out, your altitude. What I mean by that is understanding how high you are on God's list. Understanding how high a priority you are to God. And it's the love that God has for you. When you start to consider, when you stop and consider of how important you are, every single one of you, every individual all the way around the room, how important you are to God, then jealousy is going to fade. When you, get a master, when you master who God wants you to be and of his love for you and everything he's done for you, then jealousy has got to fade. There's no room for jealousy in that picture. The Bible often uses the word jealous for God. It says God is a jealous God. God often says, I am a jealous God. And what is that? It's a single-minded pursuit of something he loves so much. A single-minded pursuit. God pursued you. We sang a song earlier, which I, I do love the song, Jesus, we found you. And we are told to seek God while he may be found. But also the good shepherd is continually looking for you. You are so, such a high priority John 3.16, it's just a perfect verse for that. God loved the world so much, so much. You were so high on his list. You were so important to God that he sent the very best he had to give his all for you. How important are you to God? You've got to know your altitude. Know how important you are to God. And when you start to know your altitude in God, how important every step you take is. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Every single step. God is interested. And you might think, Andy, God's not interested in me. May I tell you tonight, God is interested in you. The Bible says it, and I believe it. What settles it? And if you're in doubt tonight of how important God is, how important you are to God, John 3.16 is all you need. He loved the world so much that he gave. What value do you have to God? You're his workmanship. You are designed. You are purposefully designed. I have uh, frequent, uh, should we say, one-line conversations with a, a, a tweeter friend of mine who's declared he's an atheist. But it's pretty sad, really, because an atheist is somebody with no invisible means of support. It's going slowly, slowly. There's, not, there's nowhere an atheist can lean on when things get tough because science should have all the answers, an atheist looks for God the same way a thief looks for a policeman. But God is looking for me. God is searching for me. I am so valuable to him. And every word I utter, every step I take, 
is valued. The G, that's gratitude. That's the love we show towards God. When was the last time you thanked God for what you had? Thank you. Excellent. But maybe some people, maybe it's longer. But gratitude isn't just, just words. Gratitude is a lifestyle. You don't have to go to Uganda to see poverty. It's on our doorstep. Now, I may not have three skiing holidays a year. I may not have the biggest and the best and the flashiest car. But I'm thankful for what I do have. I may not be able to play guitar like Kev. Probably never be able to play guitar like Kev. But I'm thankful for what God has put in my hands to use for his kingdom. And gratitude is a lifestyle. It's not just me saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Because it can get so repetitive. It's the way I live my life. shows my thanks to God. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. You walk the way I do. And my lifestyle should be a reflection of the gratitude I have towards my Savior for everything he's done for me. It should be an outward sign of what God is doing in me. John 10 talks about the fruit. What fruit am I showing? Am I showing a fruit of gratitude? Or am I showing a fruit of, I don't really care, thanks a lot, but I'll be all right. Gratitude is a lifestyle. Do you remember a song you used to sing at school? It's called, Love is Something If You Give It Away. Okay? It's like a magic penny. Hold it close and you won't have any. Lend it and spend it and you'll have so many. I sang that when I was five and I could still remember it. And there's a really good principle there. If you just keep it to yourself, God has been good to me. Thank you. But keep it to yourself. That gratitude goes nowhere. You are called to be a conduit, a channel of God's goodness. Phil came back from Uganda, and I knew he'd, I knew he'd say it, and he did. They've blessed me. But these guys have nothing in comparison. They don't have cars. Very few would have computers. They might have mobile phones these days. That's because every time you go to those um, adverts and your mobile phones away for a few quid they go to Africa okay. but they don't have anything so Phil receives a cabbage as a gift for his preaching fantastic because that's the best that guy had he brought his best that's the lifestyle of gratitude and then attitude that's the love that we show for others what's our response going to be as we grow maturity to someone who has seemingly more talent than us it's a difficult one. Maybe someone down the road, you know, you know them well, you like them, but they're richer than you. I could feel a Harry Enfield impression going on there. Considerably richer than you. What's your response? Is it, oh, wish I had their cash. I could do so much for God with their cash. Or is it, God bless you. I'm glad that you're being blessed financially. I'm glad that Pete's blessed with a great songwriting talent. I'm glad. I really am glad. Can you say that tonight? It's a difficult one, isn't it? It's an ouch moment. When you think someone may be more blessed than we are, can we bless them as well on top of that? The story of the talents, it's such a clear one. The guy got five, one guy got two, and they doubled it. The guy who won, kept in his pocket, buried it, didn't do anything with it. Maybe you feel you've only got one talent tonight. Are you sure you haven't? But what are you doing with it? Are you looking at the guy with five and saying, it's not fair, he's got five. 
or you're saying, God, thanks for this. I'm just going to use this to bless others. Let me bring you back to that Ephesians 4.11 on this comparative jealousy thing, just briefly. Maybe you thought once upon a time you, you were going to be a pastor. And you, as you can see, Arena, we don't, we don't need any more pastors. We've got our pastors. So you're thinking, so what do I do? Let me ask you a question. When you go to work tomorrow, who is going to shepherd the people around you? The pastor is a shepherd. You go into your office tomorrow. Christian can't be there. Phil can't be there. But you're there. And when those sheep need direction, who is it that God's put in place to be the pastor? When you're talking to one of your, your college mates, one of your workmates, and suddenly the Holy Spirit just quickens in your heart to say something to them. Feeling Christian out there. Who's the prophet then? In the workplace, you are the prophet. When it comes when people say, okay, what do you think about gay marriage? Suddenly, you're the teacher. Ephesians 4.11 has been worked out in your own personal experience. I'm, I'm just getting a real sense that God just wants us more and more to be a pastor to those around us. To be the evangelist whenever we can. To be the prophet. To be the teacher in those situations. Who says that God cannot use you in that situation just to bring word of revelation? I hear it all the time. Guys have just spoken into people's lives and like that. How did you know that? People have never thought of God and yet God's thought of them. And through you, you could be that channel. You could be that pastor in that situation that says, actually, there's a flock here that needs caring for. I've got a guy I work with. Just went through a terrible time with divorce. Who did he come to to talk about it? Who did he ask for advice? What do you think? I'm not the pastor of Arena Church, but right there in that moment, I was a pastor of that guy. And I don't take it lightly. Because God is more and more is working on me. He said, Andy, you do these things. Leave the jealousy behind. Don't compare yourself to others. You are who you are. Just walk in the path I've got for you. Paul started that, that First Corinthians by saying in verse 7, you've got every spiritual gift that you need. In this room, we have every single spiritual gift we need. But God just wants to use you to unlock it. God just wants to use you to open it up. God just wants to use you every single moment of every day to be a person you need to be. You won't do it with jealousy. You'll do it with understanding your altitude by having gratitude and living it and an attitude that just projects who God is in your life. Let's pray. As I was finishing off this afternoon on preparation, I just had a, a picture, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a pictures person, but I just had a picture of, of maybe, maybe you could just imagine it yourself. You're sat on a desert island, the sea all around, there's a boat in the harbour, but you're just sat on the beach with jealousy. 
jealous has been your own, only company and you keep watching boats go by with other people finding our destiny in God but you sit on the beach with jealousy these boats keep leaving these boats keep passing maybe you wave but you're still sat on the beach with jealousy but your boat sat there and the Holy Spirit says come on get in set the sail because we're leaving this island we're leaving jealousy behind you don't need jealousy as a companion jealousy will only feed on you get in the boat set the sail and off you go yeah there's going to be breakers there's going to be waves that try and throw you back on the shore jealousy is going to stand on the beach saying come on don't leave me alone I need your company but jealousy doesn't the Holy Spirit is talking right now get in that boat set the sail sail away from jealousy it's a simple subject but it can cause so much destruction I just want to right now in your heart you just think Andy that's me I'm letting jealousy control my destiny let me tell you jealousy is restricting your destiny if that's you right now just just in your heart just do just do some business with God right now the Holy Spirit is here Holy Spirit is working your heart right now. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I just want you to do business right now. You know who you are. You know the state of your own heart. You keep comparing yourself to others. You say, I never do that. But hey, God's called you to be a pastor in your own workforce. God's called you to be an evangelist within your, within your classroom. God's called you to live that word of revelation to the, the guys you work with and, and see every day. Just leave jealousy on the beach. Father, we could all do with those this time. We believe the, the petty infancy of our faith. And just go on a journey with you. Father, right now, those hearts are just speaking to you right now help them to set the sail to sail into your into your destiny the destiny you have for each and every one of us which is a, as individual as we are and I pray tonight Lord as we just consider these things you just beat the tiller you beat the rudder guiding us and Holy Spirit just blowing that sail right now to take that boat well away from the beach that contains jealousy You're going to be a practitioner of what you've, you've prayed tonight, and it's a step by step process. It's got to be lived every day. And don't be like Lot's wife and keep looking back to the shore where jealousy is sat now all alone. If you've gone that boat and you've set that sail, just keep going forward in God. You've got a whole church around you which are going to help fan the wind into those sails. You've got pastors and leaders who are just going to help you just keep that rudder straight hey don't be going back to shore don't head back into shore Jesus we thank you tonight we thank you for your abiding presence with us and as we just share fellowship we have a a cup of coffee 
Just keep us ever mindful of how high we are in your estimation, how much you value us, so much so you came and gave your all. We thank you, Father, for everything you're doing in us and through us.